0: I don't know about you, but uh, I have a love-hate relationship with, uh, with greeting cards. I love to give greeting cards, particularly to Karen, um, but I can never find a good one. Uh, do you guys have this same experience? Um, it's just hard to find one that actually says what you want to say. Most of them are just bad. I mean, way too many words... And not enough heart and soul. Uh, So it's become my habit over the years just to to write my own greeting cards. I think Karen likes that. And uh, so I do that. But once, I'm 58 years old, okay? Once, I found the perfect card. And I will never forget the exhilaration of it. Have you ever found the perfect card? Nobody. Persevere. Persevere. Once I found the perfect card. It perfectly articulated what was in my heart. It flawlessly said what I wanted to say. Karen and I were in the middle of a long distance romance. She was 423 miles from me, six and a half hours, and it was hard for Pastor Jim. I had quit my job, and I'd sold everything, and I'd gone to seminary. I was in Kansas City, Missouri, And she was in Little Rock, Arkansas. I loved her, but I left her behind. She loved me, but she let me go. My friends and family thought I was crazy. They thought I was crazy for leaving my career and going to seminary. Her her friends and family thought she was crazy for putting her life on hold for me. Almost nobody understood you guys ever experienced this? Almost nobody understood. And we soon discovered that when you step outside that box of conformity, when you officially turn your back on that conventional lifestyle, most people will still say nice things to you. They'll even say affirming things to you. But they give you really funny looks. (laughs) And they tend to stand off about 20 feet and speak in low tones. This was our... Experience. So, I was standing in the Hallmark shop. That's a greeting card store for you guys that don't know. In Kansas City. And I wanted to send Karen a card. I wanted her to know that I loved her. And I wanted her to know that I knew what we were doing was weird. I wanted her to know that. And I I wanted her to know that God was in the middle of all this weirdness. We'd cut the umbilical cord. We were outside the box. It was us and God out there, right? And I wanted wanted to send her a card to let her know. And I found it. On the front of the card were two abstract human forms dancing. And on the inside of the card were these words, and I'll never forget them. Those who hear not the music. Does anybody know how that ends? Yeah, look insane to those who... Uh, no, those who dance, look insane to those who... Okay. Those who hear not the music think the dancers mad. If you're not hearing the music, obviously the dancers, right, are mad. It was the perfect card. It was the perfect card. It's what was... It's what we were experiencing. Nobody really understood what we were doing. Nobody really got it. A handful did. But most thought we were crazy. We were dancing to God's music. Very few people could hear it. But we could hear it. (laughs) And we were dancing. Yeah, you know you're weird, but you just don't care anymore, right? You're in love with Jesus. Man, you just don't care anymore. You don't care what anybody says. You just want to live big for Jesus, right? You just want to obey the Lord. Whatever that looks like in your life, it'll look different in each of our lives. He calls us all to different things. Mine was seminary. And I couldn't ignore the music. It was was too beautiful. And He's too desirable. He's too compelling. I was telling a brother just... The other evening, I had to at least go and fail. That was where I was. I had to at least go and fail. We Karen and I, we just couldn't live inside that little box anymore that the world tries to push you into. Sometimes Christians will say to me, "Jim, my family thinks I'm odd. My friends, they think I'm weird. My colleagues. They think I've lost it. I say, yay. (laughs) Is it because they know you love Jesus? Yes. That's why they think I'm odd. And I say, yay! You are odd. You're weird. If you love Christ, you're weird. You're supposed to be odd. You're supposed to be weird. You're supposed to be hearing music that nobody else hears. And you're supposed to be, beloved, dancing to that music. You are, if you are, if you belong to Christ tonight, you are weird in the most excellent, remarkable, beautiful, and wonderful way you are His. You know, the King James Version, I think it's the only translation that uses this word, but eight times in the King James Version, God calls us, does anybody know? He says, my people, they're a peculiar people. <laughs> you're supposed to be peculiar. You're not supposed to fit into the world's box. You're supposed, as we always say, you're supposed to smell like Jesus out in the world. The world is supposed to think you're strange. God says we're a peculiar people. What's He saying? He's saying he they're mine. Really, preeminently. He's saying they're mine. They belong to Me. They are different. They are distinctive. They are atypical. They are uncommon. They don't talk and walk and act and live like anyone else on the planet. My children are peculiar. We've met Jesus Christ and everything is different. Yes? Everything's different. Everything is forever different. We hear the music. (laughs) And we do love it so. We don't settle anymore. We won't settle anymore. We can't settle anymore. For that little small box the world tries to push us into, it's just too small. As C.S. Lewis says, we're no longer enamored with the world. We've put our mud pies down and we're pursuing infinite joy in the person of Jesus Christ. As John Piper says, we're no longer deluded. We're no longer chasing those temporal bubbles that burst. We are chasing Jesus Christ. As John Eldridge says, we simply can't live small anymore. We're in on the sacred romance. (laughs) We We can't do life small. We can't do it small anymore. We've met Jesus Christ and He's breathtaking. We hear His music and we must dance. When we meet Jesus, He introduces us to our born-again, newly alive self. Don't you love that? <laughs> he introduces us to our born-again, newly alive self. And our hearts are beating like they've never beat before. Right? And our eyes are opened, our minds are awake, our emotions are stirred, our imagination is brimming, and our souls are emancipated. Try to stop me from following Jesus Christ. Try to stop me, I dare you. I hear the music. <laughs> I hear. I hear His music. We not only understand Philippians one twenty one. someone tell me what it says, and there's a euro in it for you. Do you know blessing? What is it? Amen. We not only know this verse and love this verse, we think it's the best way to live. To live is Christ. To die is gain. There's no other way to live for a Christian. And I always qualify this. I'm not talking about church members. I'm talking about disciples. There's no other way to live for the true disciple of Christ. with with the born-again eyes that Jesus has given us, we now see what is truly valuable. It's Him. (laughs) It's Him, and nothing else compares to Him. Nothing comes close. Nothing compares to Him. We are no longer mindlessly following the herd. We are not just another lemming in the crowd. We are not merely church members anymore. We are disciples and we are expending energy and taking risks to obey Jesus. We are expending energy and we are taking risks to obey. The Lord, there's that beautiful thing that Jesus loved to say. It's six times in the gospels. I can't find anything else ever. I can't find anything else recorded six times in the gospels. Maybe you know of something, please come tell me. Uh, But I can't find anything recorded this many many times in in the Gospels. It's recorded six times. And I'll read it to you from Matthew 16.25. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Of course, this can be a reference to martyrdom, but I think in our context, it is a clear reference to dying to the old self. It certainly can be a reference to to physical martyrdom. But in our context, I think we're talking about dying to the old self. If you're intent on saving your old way of life, you will lose it. If you're willing to lose your old way of life, you will find life indeed. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Now I know when I read a, a passage like that, that every unbeliever in here is somewhat... Afraid of that verse. It sounds like loss to to the unbelieving heart. It sounds like loss. But I also know that for every true believer who hears that verse, he gets it. It sounds like gain. This is the music. This is the music that the believer hears. If you're not hearing the music, Matthew 16:25 it's not only intimidating it's unintelligible but if you're hearing the master's music it makes sense it's the abundant life it's big with God and it's big with joy it's what God has been saying to his people throughout 1 Peter And we've finally arrived at chapter 4. We've been in this book for some months now. God has been reminding us from the very beginning of this book that we are His chosen people. We are a peculiar people. We are an alien people. We are strangers upon the earth. We are exiles. And He's been calling us all the way through 1 Peter to live like it. And to stay with the metaphor, to dance like it. To hear the music and to dance. The dance of a disciple. The music is joyful, joyful, we adore thee. The the dance is follow me. The two most beautiful words a man has ever heard. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. Yeah, to you, a sinner, he says, follow me. It's an astonishing thing, beloved the living God, the Creator God, the Redeemer God says to you and to me, He says, follow Me. Are you ever going to get a better offer? I don't think so. So what are you waiting for? Follow Him. If you're not today, if you're not right now, proactively following Jesus Christ, that's one of the challenges of this sermon. Follow Him now. Purpose in your heart to follow Him today like you've never followed Him before. What are you waiting for? You're never going to get a better invitation. You're never going to get a better invitation. God's been teaching us throughout 1 Peter that if we're truly walking with Jesus, the world will hate us. And sometimes they will come after us. Let me just bring us up to speed. It's been a few weeks since we've, been, uh, since we've been in 1 Peter. You guys know the great text, John 15, 18-20. Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated Me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. If they persecuted Me, they might persecute you also. Is that what Jesus says? He says they will. If you're really My witness. We're not talking about church members. If you're really out in the world and you're My witness, they will hate you. This is what Scripture tells us. And God's been telling us over and over and over in 1 Peter, this will happen. This will happen to you. If you're a witness and you're in the world, this will happen to you. You're not supposed to be surprised when this happens to you. It will happen to you. You're supposed to be ready when it happens. You're supposed to remember who your God is. You're supposed to remember what He's done. You're supposed to remember what He's promised. And you're supposed to remember that you belong to Him and you're supposed to stand in the world and give witness. Give witness to Jesus Christ. As we entered the second half of chapter 3 four weeks ago, we saw that Peter's letter began to reach a crescendo of sorts. Yes, as Christians, we uh, we will sometimes suffer because we are Christians. You can just do a superficial read of 1 Peter, you understand that. But because we're Christians, we will ultimately be glorified with Christ. This is how Peter was finishing off chapter 3. We will suffer like Christ, but we will be exalted with Him. We will be glorified in Christ. God is saying, you will suffer here for My name's sake, but I will exalt you. This is where Peter has taken us in the last few verses, particularly at the end of chapter 3 there. God has told us in 1 Peter 2:21 Jesus is our example in suffering. And God's word has revealed to us that Jesus is our example beyond suffering. <laughs> so what I mean by that, we will be in glory with him. Remember what Paul said? These momentary light afflictions are producing an eternal weight of glory. Momentary light afflictions, he says. How can he say that? We know how how much Paul suffered. How can he say that? Because he, he was looking at the glory. It didn't compare. The suffering didn't compare to the glory. Beloved, if we're thinking biblically, if we're looking at Jesus, we get that. We get Philippians one twenty one. We understand what Paul was saying. It's not, it's not just beautiful doctrine. It's true. <laughs> to live is Christ. To die is gain. Let me just read Romans 8.16-17 to you real quick. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. This is First Peter. This is the whole book of First Peter. You will suffer if you're a witness out there. You're not going to suffer coming in here. You should come in here. We're supposed to gather together as the people of God. But if you're a w- real witness out there, to one degree or another, Scripture is clear. We will suffer. And this is the point that Peter's driving home. You remember what Jesus told His men towards the end in Matthew 24. He said, You will be hated by all nations on account of My name. I'm not talking about the made-up Jesus. I'm talking about the biblical Jesus. We know there are a lot of pseudo-Jesuses out there that people have created And they're worshiping a pseudo-Jesus. He's a cartoon Jesus. I'm talking about the biblical Jesus. Jesus said, if you stand on my biblical message, the world will come after you to one degree or another. And this is what the whole book of 1 Peter is about. Be ready. Be ready. Stand. Be ready to stand. And give. I was telling the young adults um, the other evening... I'd heard John Piper say this and I loved it. You're not called to win the argument. You are not called to win the argument. You are called to give witness. Most likely in the world, you're going to lose the argument. Not all the time. (laughs) Sometimes God grants grace and, and repentance to those who are listening. But most of the time in the world, you'll lose the argument. If you're waiting to speak to win, you'll win the argument. You're never going to speak. You're not called to win. You're called to speak. You're called to witness. Are you witnessing in the world? That's the only reason the Lord's left us on the planet. Witness. That's the only reason we've, that's the preeminent reason we're here. Witness. Be my witnesses, God says. Yeah, I know. Long introduction. Uh, but I'll, I'll travel pretty quickly through the text. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Four weeks ago I gave you twelve verses from the book of First Peter that underscores the fact that God is telling his people, You will suffer for my name. And I'm not going to redevelop that. If you don't understand the premise, the basic excuse me, the basic premise of First Peter, go to the podcast site, download the last sermon on First Peter four weeks ago, and listen to that. I'm not going to redevelop that truth. But God says in verse 1, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same purpose. And we've mentioned many times in our look at 1 Peter. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they may well be persecuted. Is that what the Scripture says? No, it says they will be persecuted. So I just want to interject that again. It's not a matter of when. It, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of, of when. So God tells us here in verse 1, arm yourselves for suffering. Are you ready, beloved? Are you ready to stand out there in the world to give testimony, and when the heat comes, just stand? I was telling the young adults, you know, you don't have to win. You don't, have to be, uh, you don't even have to be contrary you can stand there with, with a gracious attitude and speak truth. Just speak the truth. You don't have to win. You just need to speak the truth. <laughs> there's a, you know there's, This is not a, a hard thing to do. <laughs> it really isn't. If you think you have to win, I'm, I'm going to release you from that burden tonight. You are released. You don't have to win. But you are here to speak. You are here to give testimony to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. God says, arm yourselves. If you check your Greek lexicon, uh, that Greek word translated arm, you discover that one of the primary meanings is to take on the same mind. Actually, I think the King James Version uh, says that. In essence, the Scripture is telling us have the same mind of Christ with regard to suffering. Jesus didn't go looking for it, but He never ran from it, right? He was prepared for it. And I want to ask you again, are you prepared for it? Because if you are His, and if you are in the world, and if you are giving witness... You will be persecuted. You will be. And when the persecution comes, Peter's saying, Don't be shocked. Don't be blown over. Don't fall away. Stand on the rock. Fall on Jesus. Beloved, the trial or the persecution, as I've been saying all the way through the book, it's your platform. You are center stage in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the persecution. You are center stage. You are on stage by yourself. God's providentially put you there. Speak. Deliver your line. Jesus is God. And He's the only way to the Father. Say, Jim, that doesn't go over well in the PC culture we live in. I know it doesn't. People are not going to like it when you speak like that. People aren't going to like it, but we're called to witness. We are called to witness. Okay, I couldn't help it because we got back in 1 Peter. I'm going to give you the litany that, we, that I got stuck on and when we first started the book. and You know, I, I can't help it. I love it. I hope you never forget it. But we remember from chapter 1, These are some of the unshakable realities that God is saying arm your mind with this. Chapter 1, God says, I've chosen you. Is it hard today? God says, I've chosen you. Are you being persecuted? God says, I've redeemed you with My blood. Verse 2 of chapter 1. Have you been slandered today? God says, I've indwelt you with My Spirit. Verse 2 of 1 Peter 1. Are you in despair today? God says, remember, I've called you to be born again. Chapter 1, verse 3. Jim, it's a hard day. I'm not sure I can cry anymore. I've been deeply hurt. God says, remember, I have prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. Verse 4. And God says, I've ordained every one of those trials... I've ordained every one of them, and I am establishing your faith through them. Verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter, chapter 1. Beloved, we can stand in the face of any trial because our God is not only with us, our God is, someone tell me, for us. (laughs) Why are we timid in the world? It's really kind of a confession that I don't really believe he is who he says he is. It's it's kind of really like that. If we're intimidated in the world, it's kind of like saying, I say he's God on Sunday, but I don't believe he's God on Monday. If we really believed he was God, we would say so. And we would live like we believe. As we've seen in First Peter, I just want to remind you of this. This is another thing I've loved in this book, and I'll never get it out of my mind. I, I, I think for a billion eternities it'll be in my heart. The trial doesn't come to us because we've been forgotten, but because we are ever-present in the mind of God. <laughs> I love that. The trial doesn't come to us uh, because we're neglected, but because we are elected. The trial doesn't come to us because we've been abandoned, but because we've been adopted. Beloved, go in the world and be His witness. You are child of the King. You are son of the King. You are daughter of the King. Go be His witness. Time is short. Time is short. It doesn't seem short sometimes, I know, but it's short. God tells us it's short. God says, be my witness In the world, God says, Remember who I am and remember who you are, and then stand in the trial and give witness. Then God says in verse 1 towards the end there, He says, Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, if you study this verse, If you read some commentaries on it, you're going to see that there are several views here among sound conservative theologians regarding what this phrase means. I'll just tell you my view, which I believe is compelling. How do we see, what does it mean? He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. By choosing to follow Christ, even in the face of persecution and suffering, This reveals that our natural fallen bondage to sin has been broken in our lives. That's what I believe the text is teaching. If you're willing to suffer for doing what is right, as Peter says over in chapter 3, verse 17, if you're willing to suffer for doing what is right, you're giving evidence that you have made a decisive break with sin. I'm not talking about perfection. Perfection. None of us ever attain sinless perfection. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. We're talking about affection. We're no longer giving ourselves away to sin. We're giving ourselves away to Jesus. It's the definition of repentance, isn't it? To change our mind. To change our mind and consequently to change our mind direction. Of course, we still sin, but we are no longer at ease in our sin. In fact, we hate it. We loathe it. We can't wait to repent. We can't wait to confess. We can't wait to get washed to get in the presence of God and deal with our sin. And I think what Peter's saying here is that the absolute dominion of sin in our lives, it has now been broken. We are consciously putting down our sin and cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. We're in the war. I was sharing with somebody this week. We're in that Romans 7 war. You guys know the war, right? If you're a Christian, you know the war. Paul says, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against that law. Again, we never attain sinless perfection. But we've made a break. We've made a break in our lives from that dominion of sin as verse 2 says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer given to the lust of men, but given to the will of God. To me, this is very clear. This is very clear. I think this is what Peter is saying. We used to do everything but the will of God, right? (laughs) We used to do anything but the will of God. Now, It's our heart's desire to do the will of God. It's that change of mind. It's that change of mind. Verses 3 and 4. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. In essence, God is saying, you've sinned enough. How many of you agree? I want to ask you to raise your hand. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, yeah, I know I should come to Jesus, but I'm not going to do it right now. And the implication is, sin's more fun! The implication is sin's better than Jesus. Listen, if you think sin is better than Jesus, you don't have a clue about Jesus. You haven't gotten within the cosmos. You're in the wrong cosmos if you think sin is better than Jesus. Just don't say that around me, okay? (laughs) Because I might go off on you. Um, In a loving way, of course. But, But don't ever say that. God says you've sinned enough. Do you agree? Have you sinned enough? If you know Christ, you know you have. And as we mentioned earlier, you hate your sin and you loathe it. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse in the message. He says you've already, uh, you've, you've already put in t- your time on that God-ignorant way of life. The God-ignorant way of life. If you think sin is more fun than Jesus, you are God ignorant. You haven't seen Him yet. You don't know anything about Him. You're not even in the same cosmos. God says, you've lived in your sensuality and your lust. You've lived in your drunkenness. You've lived in your frivolity. You've made your temporal pleasures, your idols. Let me just ask you, how has that worked for you? Those of you here who have yet to come to Christ, how's that working out for you? Is it filling your heart with satisfaction and joy and pleasure? No, it's not. I can tell you. I was converted at 28 and I kept trying to find the thing that would fill up my heart. I could never find it. I could never find it until Jesus found me. (laughs) He found me. And I found it in Him. Eugene Peterson says, man, you've got to stop with this God-ignorant way of life. He says, be done with it! Be done with it! Go on. Go on with God. As God informed disciples, we not only praise Him with our lips, we praise Him with our lives. We are word-doers. We are doing the will of God. Peter gets into sin here. He starts talking about sin. And man, I could do a hundred, there's a hundred sermons worth of material, of things I could say about this, but I just think I want to make one point. And I will simply say this: that in light of who Jesus is, a lifestyle of sin, it's too small. If you've really Glimpsed Christ, you understand, a lifestyle of sin is just too small. It's not interesting enough. It's not engaging enough. It's not pleasurable enough. We've met Jesus Christ, and He's awesome. He's awesome. He's infinitely interesting. He's eternally engaging. And as David said in Psalm 16, 11, in His presence is fullness of joy. You know, sins that's Satan's lie. That sin's better than God. It's a lie. It's been a lie from the garden. It's, it's the only lie he tells. Sin's better. Wrong. It's not. It's not. God is better. God is better. As born-again Christians, we can't settle anymore. I like the way C.S. Lewis talks about it. He says, you know, those who settle into sin... And that's their life. He says they're simply far too easily pleased. Have you guys heard this phrase? He said, people that live like that, they're far too easily pleased. And he challenges the Christian to hold out. Right? Hold out. For God, Christians are not far too easily pleased. We will not settle for anything less than knowing, loving, and obeying the living God. And as God says in verse 4, Of course, this God informed way of life, it surprises our friends and family and colleagues when we begin to live like this. Of course, some of them are prompted to malign or slander or insult us. We've been talking about this. That's part of the deal, it's part of our job descriptions. If you're a true lover of Jesus, the world's not going to get it. They're going to think you're weird, and the insults will come. They will malign you. You're not supposed to be shocked, you're not supposed to be hurt, you're supposed to be ready and give a witness. Be insulted with a smile on your face proclaiming Jesus Christ. We, we've been talking about this as raw power. <laughs> you will disarm your attacker. You will disarm your attacker. Verses 5 and 6, But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for the gospel, has for, the gospel has, has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. And though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Peter implies here what he has already explicitly said in the letter, that when we are unjustly attacked for doing what is right, we do not retaliate. You know how we were saying it some months ago. We love God more than we love payback. Jesus is our example over there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return, but kept entrusting Himself to God who judges righteously. This is God's command to us. This is what He's been saying to us throughout the series. We love Him. We love obeying Him more than we love retribution, more than we love retaliation, more than we love payback. Our friends malign us. Our colleagues slander us. Some in our family insult us. We smile and give testimony. You may forget to smile. But give testimony. That's why you're here, beloved. You're not here to get in a fight with them. You're not even here to... You know, it's not your job to win the debate. It's your job to give testimony. That's your job. You leave the rest with God. You can't convert anybody anyway. This is God's work. So, we leave vengeance to the Lord as He tells us in Romans chapter 12. God will perfectly settle all outstanding accounts. This is not our job. This should not be our concern. We smile and give witness. We turn the other cheek. We've talked about it in this series. While you may have heard some strange interpretations of verse 6, it seems clear to me that Peter's talking about those who have heard the Gospel while they were alive. They believed it, and they are now dead, but they are alive in the Spirit. Of course, those who believe the Gospel will suffer the first death as all men must. The death of Our fallen, sinful flesh. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the perishable, dishonorable, weak, natural, earthy flesh. It must perish. And it will perish. But we will be raised up, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, and heavenly. Believers, of course, suffer the first death, but we do not suffer the second. And you guys know how Scripture refers to the second death. That's being cast into hell. Revelation 20.14 We do experience the first death, but we do not experience the second. It's true, the old saying, if you're born once, you will die twice. If you're born twice, you will die once. God says... We are aliens. We are strangers. We are exiles upon the earth. We are peculiar people. We have a peculiar love affair with God. We are His. We are different. We are distinctive. We are atypical. We are uncommon. As we've seen repeatedly in the book of 1 Peter, real Christians love and obey God in the midst of suffering and persecution. Let me ask you, are you ready to do it? Because it's coming. It will come to you. Multiple times in your life. Are you ready to to love and obey and worship Jesus in the midst of the persecution and the suffering? Real Christians love and obey Him in the face of slander and insult. This is who we are. This is what we're called... To do. This is why we've been left on the planet. We are his witnesses. And what happens when we give witness to Jesus? He is glorified, and people are converted. It's not about you winning the argument. It's not about you, you know, having that perfect comeback. And sometimes I have it and I want to say it so bad. That's not why God's left me here. He didn't leave me here to have that perfect comeback. He left me here to love those people around me, even the ones attacking me, to love them enough to tell them about Christ. Because when, I, when, I'm, in the, when I'm in the middle of the fire and, I, and I'm a witness, a faithful witness, God is glorified and men are converted. This is what God does. This is what He does. So it's true, those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad. So be it. I'm really, I'm really so comfortable with people thinking I'm odd. I am. I'm so comfortable with, it, with that. We don't dance because we've lost our minds. We dance because we've found our hearts. We don't dance because we're deranged. We dance because for the first time we are alive. We are alive. We are radically God-informed. We have met Jesus Christ, and He is awesome. We don't settle anymore even if we're maligned. We won't settle anymore even if we're persecuted. We can't settle anymore even if we suffer. We can't live small anymore. Our God is too awesome. This is what Peter has been saying to us. Beloved, I pray that you hear the Word of the Lord. It's going to get stronger next week. (laughs) it's going to get stronger next week. I'll just read you an excerpt. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Jesus, keep on rejoicing. Do you hear what the Word of God says? To the degree that that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Next week, it's going to be good. Be a witness. I know people will think you're strange. Be a witness. Go be a witness. Let's pray. Father, it's it's an honor to speak your name in the world. It's just an honor to be called by your name. It's an honor to belong to you. Thank you, Father, that we belong to you. Thank you that we are yours. And no one or no thing can separate us from your infinite and unfathomable love. Lord, I pray that we would hear what you're saying to us. I pray that we would be ready in the world to stand on the rock and give witness. that we wouldn't be afraid, we wouldn't be intimidated. We would give witness. We know. This is the preeminent reason that we remain on the planet. To be a witness. And when it's hard, Father, You magnify the effect. When the pressure comes, You magnify the effect of the witness. And we know what happens in the witness. You are glorified. And men are converted. Lord, help us to be faithful disciples. Father, we praise You. And we love You. What an awesome God. We can't settle anymore. We can't live inside that little box anymore. You're too beautiful. You're too desirable. You're too compelling. We give all glory and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.